it's talking to the people and um, giving them the awareness not only of the topic but also the awareness of the other point of view that that is where where you really have the big leverage because if that works then you're talking about solutions technological solutions processes automation and then you really benefit but um, the people are key I'm Rock Pollock, and this is the first season of the Secure Tracks podcast, where we host rail industry leaders to talk about operational rail technologies and cybersecurity. In this episode, we're hosting a guest from one of the biggest rail operators in Europe, and we'll be talking about some of the challenges associated with operational rail tech cybersecurity. Today's conversation should be exciting. Uh, we have Christopher Neeson from Deutsche Bahn. Uh, but one disclaimer here, Christopher's views and opinions in this podcast are his own and do not represent the views and opinions of Deutsche Bahn. Christopher is the Senior Manager of OT Security at Deutsche Bahn and is based out of Berlin, Germany. Christopher has been in the cybersecurity role for Deutsche Bahn for the last three years and is leading the company's OT security program. Prior to Deutsche Bahn, Christopher held a variety of information security and product roles with TUV Rhineland Intertraffic, Norbrenza, PowerTech, and Bombardier Transportation. Further, Christopher has degrees in industrial engineering, business, a master's degree in information security from the University of London. Christopher, welcome to the show and thank you for joining us today. Thank you. All right. Well, welcome to the show, Christopher. One of the things I usually like to do is ask people how they got into cybersecurity, because a lot of us uh, came into the industry in roundabout ways. Uh, you perhaps are one of the very few guests that we've had or we've talked to that actually has a formal education in information security. So maybe instead of trying to explain how you got into information security, which is pretty obvious at this point, maybe just talk a little bit about how you got into the rail industry and uh, cybersecurity specifically in the rail industry. Yeah, sure. Well, that, that was a quite a funny story. Uh, my first job was in the consulting area for supply chain management. And after a year, I decided it was not the way I wanted to go. So I was looking for a job um, ads and uh, found uh, one for a trainee program with Bombardier back then for um, yeah, supply chain management or procurement. So um, yeah, so I went there, I went for the application and then they told me, I'm sorry, the job is gone. <laughs> but we have a different one in project management. So I went with the trainee in project management and uh, started my real career at Bombardier, yeah. Ah, okay, excellent. Well, that was, that was pretty easy then. Uh, you, didn't, you didn't take nearly as long enough to figure out what you wanted to do with your life as uh, some of us did. <laughs> no, it was just, um, yeah, life as it happens, yeah, exactly. Yeah, well, that, uh, that's uh, exactly how it happens, yeah, it, uh, take it a roundabout way. So let's, uh, let's jump into our first topic of conversation, and uh, I thought what we'd talk about is the, the different challenges that you see in securing operational rail tech environments, and we all know that r these rail operations are being digitized at a fast pace, and uh, interconnected with other uh, corporate network systems and, you know, basically the buzzword, I think, especially us marketing people like to talk about is IT, OT convergence, 
But from your perspective in the trenches, what's the reality from your perspective? And, and can you give us some examples uh, that, you know, show or demonstrate how some of the, the rail operational systems are actually being interconnected? Yeah, we see that um, that topic, this conversion happening very quickly uh, and strongly. I mean, um, you know, systems used to be isolated. So um, OT systems would run like in their own island mode, I would say. And now you see that we're, they're getting more intelligent. So like if we look at the machineries, we're looking at topics like predictive maintenance, condition-based maintenance. So you're making connectivity to machines that were isolated before to get operational data. So the motivation, the primary motivation is getting operational excellence. So benefiting from that. And that right away brings along the question of cybersecurity. Um, so we have a lot of topics with um, IoT, IoT, um, cloud connectivity uh, happening. And that is in the machinery part. And if you look at the trains, we see a lot of diagnostic platforms. So the big um, system integrators have diagnostic platforms where they have access to their data and um, yeah, offer like an additional benefit against the few coins uh, for the operators. Right, right, and that makes sense. I mean, it's mostly uh, for the benefit of the operations organizations and the maintenance organizations, bringing in better efficiencies, et cetera. Yeah, exactly. And it raises a lot of questions because now if, if you look at the, the, the Purdue model, you are now making links yeah, between the, the okay. highest level and the lowest level. And of course, it is in a surrounding which is um, 20 years behind that of the IT security. So, um, right. of course, to get a maturity level here into it, it is, um, yeah, it takes a lot of effort. Right. Yeah. One of the things that I hear, and, and, and uh, you know, I'll, I'll be transparent, I hear this from the vendor community uh, quite a bit, is that uh, these, these operational rail systems tend to be very unique uh, and in, in, in the, for, to the rail industry uh, and that cybersecurity in these for these unique systems require some, some really unique features and capabilities. Um, and I don't know if you, you run into this or you see this as much from your side, but do you have any examples that you can share about how, you know, the rail tech systems are in fact unique to the rail industry and, and the impact that may have on uh, cyber uh, security systems that uh, you put mm -hmm. in place? Well, first of all, it's a strongly regulated area. We have a lot to do with regulation, uh, legislation, and um, well, supervisory authorities. Right. So um, that's one issue which we have to tackle, um, especially if you look at topics like uh, patch management, uh, patch management cycles. And um, that also brings us to the topic of very long life cycles. So you see, if you look at the classical um, rail development life cycle uh, from RAMS, uh, you have, you know, requirements, breakdown, risk assessment, integration, testing, but then comes the operational phase and the operational phase is 30, 40 years. So you have three to five years development, system integration, and then comes a long time and that you have to handle now. Um, it used to be different because um, with safety, you said, okay, I have a safe system. Um, I make no changes, I said, just do the uh, appropriate uh, maintenance and keep the system running, so oiling, changing screws, et cetera. Right. Uh, tightening screws, the bolts and nuts, and, uh, and and now it's like, oh, we have this whole long time, and we need to, you know, obtain the cybersecurity in, in this uh, system, and that is a completely new way of thinking um, for the engineers, for the operators, and of course for the regulation legislation. 
Right, right. Yeah, that's a great, that's, that's a good point. One, when you and I talked before, uh, one of the things that we talked about, um, and uh, this may be a bit of uh, out of left field, but uh, and, uh, pardon the Americanism, that's a baseball saying, by the way. But uh, what's your take on the whole conversation recently around uh, AI, especially the popularity of tools like ChatGPT that people are talking about? I mean, do you see this movement as something that helps uh, security teams in the rail industry? Or do you think this is just yet another threat vector? Mm -hmm. Yeah, so I mean, if, if every time you would get a dollar, you hear a chat GPT, yeah. <laughs> you wouldn't have to work almost. We'd be, we'd be um, retired, wouldn't we? Yeah, no. uh, definitely. Well, uh, I mean, in, in looking at, you know, large language models, uh, it's fascinating what, what, what it can do. It's right. a bit of a, um, a magic box, people putting more we say, emotions into it than it really can do. So um, I, I think from my point of view, it's important to see where can it go with technology? What will it bring in, in the future? So mm -hmm. um, not to see it as an immediate threat, but, but to as a warning to, to see what for what must we prepare? Because it's, it's, like a, it's like an ongoing game between attackers and defenders. So we have to see what threat is coming. How can we uh, react to that? that? That is the point about it. And for, from that point of view, I think it's... Uh, it's good that it happens now because, um, like you say, you, you always overestimate um, the, the change within the next 10 years and underestimate the change in the, in the next two years from yeah. the technological change. So this is, this is a disruption for sure. It's uh, getting larger and larger and um, new ideas will come up. You will use it to the good and to the bad. You know? Gotcha. Now, are your teams using perhaps ChatGPT or any of the other similar uh tools uh in in daily work today or experimenting with some of the different tools no no Ch chat gpt uh not i also know of a lot of uh companies that prohibit it um, yeah. if you look in the banking industry um area or yeah, government agencies it's because it learns uh, every anything you feed into it it, re it keeps inside and uh, it's mind <laughs> there's a and, lot of um, around intellectual property and, and yeah their information sure right right so yeah. what what you rather use is like um um what do you call it like optical recognition um like if if you if you have projects looking at um, graffiti um detection on the train that way the, the maintenance team already knows oh there's graffiti on the train we have to uh, get a cleaning team out there because there's always a always a penalty on that um from from the so the, from, from the city that um, you know gives us the contract, the state that gives us the contract for, for the operational um, services. So that's why there you always have to look that there's no graffiti on the trains and keep track. Interesting. Yeah, there's, there's something I never thought about is how to mm -hmm. how to protect and, and get rid of the graffiti yeah. on the trains. Uh, yeah. Right. It, good question. So how do you think you know as you're looking at OT security or the uh, security in the rail tech operational systems today. You know, how would you compare where we are today and the job that uh, the industry is doing in the operational areas compared to where we are in IT cybersecurity, uh, given that we have such a much longer history uh, thinking about IT cybersecurity? Mm -hmm. Well, as you said, IT is already, you know, IT security is already established. It's known. 
Um, with OT security, you know, sometimes you get the reply, is it a typo? Did you actually mean IT, not OT? And, and it's like, no, it's the operational technology. And um, you, you need a lot of awareness. Uh, you still have to, because it's the, the people are key um, in this in this case. You can only put as much technology into security and to a certain point, but the users, the, the people that operate the trains and, and machinery, they are key and you have to make their life, their daily work easier, that it integrates and that makes then um, OT security success. Yeah, 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 I, I agree with that. There are many more people uh, involved in OT cybersecurity than in, in general IT cybersecurity. Makes, right. makes it an easier job, I'm sure, from your standpoint. Um, you know, how do you, uh, thinking about pe the people and not necessarily the people within uh, Deutsche Bahn or any rail operator, but the, the broader community, you know, how do you think about or view the relationships that the, that the rail operators have today with, with the integrators, the rail integrators, the cybersecurity vendor community? You know, do you feel like the integrators and the vendors are working closely with the operators today to really address some of your security concerns and challenges, or, or are there things that, uh, that we all need to work on? Hmm. What we see is the collaborations forming. So system integrators, train manufacturers are looking to um, yeah, collaborate to get that knowledge into their portfolio, you know, and, the, and to be able to offer it to operators. Right. Um, within, within the operators, it always defers um, how, the, how, how the system is in their country, because um, I can speak, for example, um, in, in Germany, we are in competition. So uh, we have to win public tenders. And mm -hmm. in those tenders, the state defines what they want. So if they don't uh, say, um, oh, we want, uh, you know, uh, we want Wi-Fi, uh, we want this and that, then, of course, nobody will offer it. So that's where it starts, more uh, state-driven, what, what they expect and want. And that can be different from, from nation to nation, though. So did they set a minimum baseline that you have to uh, adhere to and then you can go above and beyond that or do, do right. you just stick to that minimum baseline? Right. You have the minimum baseline. And then um, if you have a certain size, at least in Germany, if you're a critical infrastructure, then you have to uh, reach a higher baseline because right. you fall into a regulation legislation perspective. So different operators have different requirements based on the scale of their operational environments. Correct. If you're a very small one, you only have five trains, you have a lower baseline. Right. You probably have a lot less uh, automation things as well, I would assume. Yeah. Yeah, that, that makes sense. Okay. Got it. Got it. So, um, you know, as you think about where we are today, uh, and I'm sure that given the fact that you're in charge of the OT security programs there at Deutsche Bahn, you're, you're constantly thinking about what's coming down the road um, or down the tracks in this case, uh, pun intended. But uh, as, as you look forward, um, you know, maybe let's say three to five years down the, down the tracks, you know, what, do you, what are you most concerned about? Or maybe what do you think are going to be the most difficult challenges that you have to deal with or that operators in general have to deal with? I think they really have to deal with the organizational change because uh, you, there are a lot of uh, standardization works out there, um, guidance documents, but 
nobody really answers the question, how do you integrate into your organization? And that is something which no one can answer, you know, generically or generic for everybody. Right. So, um, and for that, you need the people, you need your, uh, the colleagues that understand, you know, what is OT security, what is the goal, you need management, you need management backing, because the uh, cybersecurity is always seen as a cost factor, you know, what do we get for it? It's, and, and I always say it's a bit like a, you know, a house insurance, you know, everybody has it, everybody hopes it never happens, <laughs> but it costs money, you know, it saves right. something, <laughs> that's how security is. <laughs> Right. Yeah, that's that's exactly right. Do you see these programs? I mean, uh, I'm assuming they take a lot of top down uh, commitment uh, to mm -hmm. really happen that they can't necessarily be driven from the bottom up uh, without that uh, top level executive commitment. Right. Absolutely. You, you need the top level executive commitment here and that's uh, top down. And um, depending on the size of enterprise, it's like a huge tank and this, you know, to steer a huge tank is comparison to a small little a sports ship. It just takes some time. And uh, yeah, we, to see the, the landscape is so different. We, even within an enterprise, you have um, machinery, which, which is older, which is uh, more modern. Um, the variety is that which, which makes it more complex. So. Yeah, you've got different organizations involved. They, each each organization has to learn kind of a little bit about the other's uh, domain, so it gets very complicated. Right. So it's winning. It's winning the people that they understand that um, OT security helps them and doesn't hinders them. Like, oh, don't don't call it security people. Oh, they're just gonna you know shut everything down. Like, no, we'll help you. Yeah. That that's that's the point. Um, that is the, the most uh, yeah work. You have to do it in the beginning and to rise into maturity. I think that is um, that is a challenge, and also the challenge, is, of course, the changing threat landscape. We've we've seen with the Ukraine uh, conflict and war um, that the threat landscape, which was before unimaginable here in, in Europe, has changed. Like within weeks, was like what is happening. So um, that that also is something which which we've um, have noticed that you have to be more adaptive and think the impossible uh, or impossible. Yeah, yeah very, very much so. And uh, I would say it's not even in Europe. Uh, I think unrest anywhere in the world can can create cyber issues. Um, it doesn't matter if it's on your doorstep or on the other side of the planet. Uh, cyber doesn't really have any borders. Right. It doesn't have any borders. And that's that's something which you which you really learn. People were like uh, very busy with the news, but you didn't see what was happening behind the news in the cybersecurity uh, realm, I would say. Right. And uh, there was like frontiers that you didn't know before were like, uh, yeah, blurred. And um, I think that really woke up a lot of people, um, governments, um, organizations. And uh, now we have to see how, how we react to, to this, because at the end of the day, uh, safety is key. Is that what we must uphold with, with uh, cybersecurity? And we transport people. I mean, that's why we, we need to react and be prepared. Yeah. Right, 100% agree. Yeah, absolutely. Well, let's, let's change topics a little bit here and, and talk about, you mentioned earlier, the world of regulatory uh, frameworks. Um, I know there's, there's, you know, rail's not the only one. There's over a dozen mm -hmm. uh, critical infrastructure industries. They're all going through different transformations at different speeds. Uh, some people like to talk about it as, Industry 4.0 or the fourth industrial revolution, 
you know, how do you think the rail industry is doing relative to some of the other critical infrastructure industries as far as developing cybersecurity frameworks for the, the rail operational uh, environments? Mm. I would say we're on the way. I mean, when we, we started with the, with the standardization group where I'm also active, we, we looked at other industries and said, what are the other people doing? I mean, we have automotive industry. They have connectivity. And what is the um, avionic uh, industry doing, the aviation? Right. Um, they, there's no, they have also internet on board and no plane comes down. So they must have gone to tight you know, regulation and uh, conformity assessment. So, mm -hmm. so you see there, um, like in the automotive industry, it's, uh, the, it's ISO 21434, and aviation also has like DO326A. Um, it's very interesting because they integrated security and safety. That what um, in the railway industry at the beginning, it was like, oh, safety and, and security, how do we merge these or do we keep them separate and um, where, how do you synchronize it? So that is the issue where we are currently and that's where we, we I, I say we're on the way because you know, railway just takes a bit to, <laughs> to, to, to you know, get, get on tracks, get on speed. Right. And um, yeah, we're, we're looking right and left and the benefiting also from, from other industries. Yeah, that's interesting. I, I assume most of the transportation industries are, are kind of similar. Uh, you mentioned two of them. Uh, I'm assuming things like busing, uh, transportation, maritime, uh, also have some of the mm, yeah. similar problems uh, or challenges. Yeah, it's, it's definitely learning from other industries or from, from other nations that have um, published guidelines and also looking uh, what classical um, IC6443 uh, for industrial security, um, the, well, the, the golden reference uh, point which we have uh, in the right. industry. Right. Yeah. You hit on an interesting question that, that I had was with, I know you're a member uh, of the working group that now is developing the new cybersecurity standard that's being uh, called IEC 63452 for those that are keeping track. But it seems like today, most of the operators uh, in the rail industry are already uh, following or relying on uh, 62443. So, why is there a new standard uh, necessary and, and what, what's going to be different uh, with the new standard? Mm -hmm. So um, looking back one step before the TS5071, which is now being turned in the IC63452, which you mentioned, um, was like a guidance document. There was, it was a lot of guidance. Um, and now, because it was technical specification, and now with, we're going into the direction of the international standard Mm -hmm. So a document where you can also have a compliance assessment against, so uh, conformity assessment. And um, the difference will, will be that, um, first of all, the conformity assessment and will be more precise because a standard is short and precise in the, in the requirement and then can have a larger uh, rational guidance section, but um, it, it will be more brief. And um, it will be also, from, from my point of view, stronger focus on IC6443, and, um, but with, with rail additions. Um, okay. in, my personal, in my personal view, in the future, we will even see um, a rail-specific profile because IC6243 has now introduced uh, or it's going to introduce profiles. 
So industry specific profiles, which you can add to the series, to the 6443 series. And right. um, that I think would also help um, if, if we see that coming in the future on top of the ICM 6452. Yeah, it's a long, it's almost like a password, 6452. <laughs> it's a bit of a mouthful. I finally got 62443 down where I can say it without thinking about it. Now you're introducing another one that jumbles up the numbers. Yeah. Uh, uh, but I know that, uh, I'm sorry. Yeah, just, just to add, so 6443 was, is this uh, so well-known industry standard. So every, the whole industry jumped on it because it didn't have anything for real in the hand. Uh, it's well-known, it's, it's structured and um, used it, especially for their um, development life cycles, for their risk assessment. So, so yeah. that's, that's the reason why it's so, so dominant. And I believe it was remain dominant in the industry. Right. And I know that the industry came out with uh, TS5701 um, just a few short years ago. And uh, what's going to be different with uh, IEC 63452? Will it uh, replace 5701? Is it going mm -hmm. to be in addition to? Uh, how do these fit together? Well, there's uh, some discussions uh, about that, but um, one, one is in the direction, okay, we're we're gonna then um, that's gonna become obsolete. The TS5071 is then you know gonna be put aside, and then only the international standard will be um, yeah, continued. It's, it's also important because of all the new uh, European regulation which we have, Cyber Resilience Act, at least here in Europe. Mm -hmm. They say they have a large uh, regulational uh, requirements now, and they say if you do not have um, industry-specific cybersecurity um, standard which you follow. You must follow all these these requirements. Uh -huh. so, so, of course, um, the industries industries all are keen to have their cybersecurity standard, and that's also the reason why, for example, automotive is accepted from the Cyber Resilience Act because they have their their standard which they follow. Got it. So the rail industry wants to come up with their own so that they are not beholden to the Cyber Resiliency Act. Yeah, at least on a on a point by point basis. Mm -hmm. All right, that's the first I've heard of that. Okay, that's an interesting. Got it. Um, and and you mentioned it. Uh, a lot of this work on the IEC standards, at least from my viewpoint uh, across the pond, um, you know, the work being done on six three four five two. It seems like a lot of that work is being done out of Europe. Um, how's the organization working with operators and and other organizations more globally, uh, especially in North America? Uh, Asia-Pacific regions to kind of uh, hopefully push this as more of a global standard and have mm -hmm. it more widely adopted. Yeah, well, um, all the experts um, are invited to participate. It is an international um, project team, PT, before it becomes an international standard. Um, we have um, colleagues from, from, from China, from Japan um, included, and there will be also a, a final review so um, although um, we don't have a so continuous participation from from the whole you know international community ever at every meeting there will be a review points or where everybody can comment and uh, then the comment will, will, will take uh, being taken into consideration so. got it so where's the process stand uh, today are there still opportunities for operators to get involved uh, in the development of the standard I think currently now we're shortly before the first uh, comment phase. 
Okay. So I think um, October around that time is supposed to be a commandant. Yeah. So, so they're uh, very close to having the first draft of the sixty three four five two. Yeah. Okay. Excellent. And do you know the timing of that, uh, or is there a published timing? Yeah, there's a published time, but don't nail me on that. I think it's two, 2025. It's supposed to be published. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Got it. Um, and are, are there other standards? I know the IEC standards have been developing and, and getting a little bit more worldwide adoption. Are there other uh, standards in other parts of the world uh, that, uh, that are relevant uh, in the rail industry as well that people are having to uh, really pay attention to? Well, I know that um, APTA or APTA um, has has some standards uh, published. We've also seen um, Australian uh, standards uh, being being published, uh, which were interesting. I recall that the, the former Working Group Twenty Six that we looked at that, and uh, also Singapore, the state uh, nation Singapore has also published something on that. You're also very keen on on cybersecurity for or OT security for railways, and even the, the Netherlands. Has uh, has issued things. So um, yeah, there are there are activities, um, but of course, no international rail standard. That's what we're working at. Right, and even six three four five two is a uh, is an optional framework for people to adopt. Correct. <clears throat> yeah, yeah. Currently, it is. Um, it will be interesting when we see uh, what happens with the safety world, because currently in the safety case, um, it is uh, there's a link to. It says you have to look at security, which can possibly impact safety-related functions. Right. And then it says look at ISO 27001 or IEC or and, uh, IEC 62443 for inputs on how to handle that. Now it will be interesting to see if then maybe in the future we'll say okay, also look at IEC 62452. Um, so. That makes sense. Okay, I did not know that. That's, that's yeah. Excellent. All right. Let's move on to our third topic. You already touched on this a little bit earlier. Uh, let's let's talk about some of the organizational considerations, or maybe even culture changes uh, mm -hmm. that uh, that cybersecurity and in, in the operational environment really brings up. You know, one thing uh, I guess it's a big challenge. Uh, you already you already mentioned it that the the rail tech uh, systems or rail OT systems are owned by somebody else, uh, namely the operations teams, the maintenance teams. So I'm sure this causes uh, more challenges than do, dealing with IT security. Uh, how, do you, how do you address some of those challenges and start to try to overcome those, those uh, concerns? Right, so, so what we have is we have, like, we have two organizational uh, sides. We have one, the CIO area where IT security has always been uh, located. Mm -hmm. And then we have the CTO area where we have the whole, you know, technological operational systems uh, running. And um, so you have to like bridge the gap yeah? you need the bridge makers because you must decide for your organization, okay, will I put the OT security to the CIO people that already have an understanding of cybersecurity or do I put it to separate it and put it on the CTO area that have an understanding of the technological systems, the OT systems, but mm -hmm. not so much of the cybersecurity. So um, you have to see how how do like C CIO and CTO work together? Do they like each other or not? <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's about people. I'm saying it's, uh, it's always right. about people. Huh? So and then 
looking at how, how you integrate that. Yeah? Um, for us, I can say we, we've um, concentrated on the CIO area. We have, like a, we have strong bridge makers into the uh, CTO area. We need communicators mm -hmm. um, that, you know, explain and, uh, you know, take the people along the, the, well, the trip, the road yeah, and the track. Right. Right. Uh, yeah, I, you, you touched on it, you know, I don't know many cybersecurity people that know much about rail. Um, and probably my guess is most of the rail operations people aren't cyber experts uh, either. Um, how do you start to get these teams up to speed um, in each other's kind of domain enough that they're able to communicate and work together? Do they have any common systems where they're working off of the same data sets uh, or, or are they all looking at different data? They're all looking at their own systems. Um, so that, that's why you have to um, yeah, make, make the connection uh, and bridge it and also adapt in your, how we say, adapt in your like um, audio or yeah, yeah. audio targeted um, communication. So adapt your communication to and depending on who you want to reach. Because someone who is a, a machine operator, you know, if you ask ask him, okay, um, what VPN are you using? Can you give me the the version of it? Okay, well, VPN. I have a machine. What are you what are you, what are you talking about? So you, you must make it very uh, extended in a manner that he can understand or she can understand what you want from them and why it is important. And um, the same is on the other side. You know, if if, if you have the, the security people and the, then the, the workers uh, come and say, hey, look, uh, you know, this button doesn't work and I, I'm, the keyboard uh, always crashes and so I, I just connected something here because now it works easier with, with a USB stick and right. yeah, so um, it's, it's talking to the people and um, giving them the awareness, not only of the topic, but also the awareness of the other point of view that that is where, where you really have the big leverage, because if that works, then you're talking about solutions, technological solutions, processes, automation, and then you really benefit it. But um, the people are key. Yeah, do, do, do you, do you uh, from a cyber security standpoint, so does your organization do a lot of proactive outreach to the operational organizations and, and even possibly formal training programs? Yeah, so uh, training, awareness, even on a workshop floor level, that, that is uh, important. And also um, having um, yeah, reporting on each side, mm -hmm. what is happening here, what is happening there, just to, to get this awareness. With, because um, otherwise, you know, people start, oh, yeah, we can connect the system. And we're like, no, no, you don't connect anything here without, you know, um, you know speaking to us, you know. Right, um, yeah. right. Got it. Got it. All right. And, and how, how are you finding that those efforts are working? Um, you know, are, are they where you would want them to be or are you making good progress and uh, still work to do? Yeah. yeah there, I mean, the organizations, um, the web operators organizations are, are large. So of course there's always a lot of work to do, but it has improved uh, within the last few years uh, that OT security is uh, not mistake anymore for a typo. Uh, it's, you know, it's, oh, there is something. And also to recognize that, wow, we have also 
a lot of OT assets, even more than IT assets. So that that was also a step to um, um, yeah, a long way to go and to get this acknowledgement from from management and the people that they understand it is important. And now we we see the benefits coming um, slowly but surely. Yeah. Right. Understood. So. You, you mentioned it before, you've got uh, two different organizations. You have the, the CIO organization where cyber resides and you have the CTO organization where the operations teams uh, reside. Who pays for all this uh, from a budget standpoint? <laughs> that also will, will, will depend on how, uh, how you implement it. Right? At, the, at the end of the day, if you um, operate on, on, on the CIO side and then have an arrangement with, with the CTO side or, or divide it, um, yeah, you. It's that's more like an accounting to topic, um, which, which we have to like arrange um, because uh, yeah, you must see how how you how you divide it uh, equally and uh, yeah, fairly uh, between yeah. the entities. You know, yeah. You got it. I was just curious about the purse strings. Usually, that uh, mm -hmm. gives you better ability to make things happen if, if you've got uh, some of the budget. Yeah, it's always uh, one, one addition. It's always uh, the best um, way is if there's regulation, and it says you have to, right? Yeah, because like your critical infrastructure, you have to do this and that, that and that is changing con continuously. Um, then there's no discussion uh, about who pays it. You have to do it. Sure. Yeah, it, uh, it's always a forcing function in uh, in the cyber world. Either that or something bad happens, and typically either one drive a lot of quick response. All right. Um, so Christopher, uh, let, let's kind of start wrapping things up a little bit here. Uh, you know, as somebody that, that doesn't day in and day out, uh, responsible for uh, Railtech cybersecurity, as you think about the job that CISOs have to do, um, you know, as far as being in the rail operator, we may have a, a number of other CISOs listening today. What what kind of advice uh, would you give uh, those folks uh, as they're thinking about uh, diving more further into uh, security in their rail tech or OT environments? Yeah, I would say um, you need you need to get the the bridge makers. You need the CTO and the CIO area to work together. That is key. Mm -hmm. Getting talk to the people talk on the people that operate your ot systems um get to know them get to know their needs because that is also a business need i mean at the end of the day you have to uphold your business processes and yeah? be resilient so um that you can, you can never forget that it has a certain purpose the ot security or the cyber security and that's to uphold business and to be competitive and that's that's also what you can argument towards uh, upper management to get their buy-in um, in, in this uh, topic and, the, and their backing. And then if you have that, awareness, 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 people, 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 um, because uh, OT, it's operated by people. It's, uh, it's not an app which runs <laughs> on an right. automatic clock. It's, it's people, yeah. Right. You touched on an inter interesting topic there, maybe a topic for another uh, podcast appearance. We can talk about how to build a business case uh, for some of these mm -hmm. uh, efforts uh, in the operational environment, but you're, you're spot on. It, it always comes back to supporting the business. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, Christopher, 
if somebody wanted to talk to you uh, or get in contact with you, are there social media platforms that you're active on or what's the best way to, uh, to reach you? Yeah, well, I'm, I'm on LinkedIn. Okay. Okay. Yeah. All right. Well, please note, uh, Christopher's on LinkedIn and note the spelling in his first name. Uh, it's different and unique and stands out. So, uh, he should be easy to find, uh, because of that. Um, well, Christopher, uh, I want to thank you very much for joining us today. Uh, it's been a pleasure uh, talking to you. Uh, I also want to thank all of our listeners today. Uh, that is the end of our show today. So until next time, keep your tracks secure. Thank you.